George R. R. Martin created the largest and most consistent fictional universe since J.R.R. Tolkien. This podcast series explores the songs in the world of Westeros, the history behind them, and how Martin uses them as a literary device. Today, we're learning about the song that strikes fear into the soul of every person in Westeros, The Reigns of Castamere. I am joined by Matt Merkel. Matt, say hi. Hi, guys. How you doing? Great. Uh, but first, we're going to learn a little bit of family history behind the two parties involved in this conflict, the Reigns, the Reigns and Tarbex, really, and the Lannisters. The Lannisters. They descended from the First Men. The First Men are the first people that came into Westeros along what is now the, the Sepstones, right by Dorne. And our, our story really begins with Titus Lannister. He was the most agreeable person that you could think of. His nickname was the Laughing Lion, and Jamie Lannister described him as more of a kitten than a lion in a <laughs> YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. So so why was he why was he known this way? Well, it, it's because he just gave away huge sums of money to people and never really asked for repayment. At one point, Roger Rain actually uh, laughed in his face when Tywin Lannister, not Tywin, when Titus Lannister said, hey, you want to pay me back all the money you owe me? Uh, Roger laughed in his face and Titus just started laughing with him. Just kind of the person he is. Is it a bad thing to be an agreeable person and a leader? You, you know what? I, well, this is, I mean, if we tie it back into, you know, what we're going through today, right? Stimulus checks and those kinds of things. No, I don't think it is. Um, you know, it, there's always a going to be a fine balance. And 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 right, I I know Martin in his books almost tends to go to extremes, right? That you're either kind of agreeable, amenable, the people love you, right? And then something happens, you go mad, or you have the exact opposite, right? Which is you know tyrant, authoritarian. Um, you know, they may be obtuse, out of touch with their people, those kinds of things. Now, literarily, that stuff works, right? Because that creates conflict, right? That the, the too amenable or the not amenable enough, that creates conflict in literature. But no, as a, as a general rule, no. I, I, I think, obviously, we'd all like to have an amenable leader, a nice guy, right? Yeah, I think the problem with Titus is, is really that he... He didn't have he didn't have a limit. Like I, I right. know you're a pretty agreeable person, right. but you you have a limit. Sure, like, you can get yeah. it. So if someone gets on your bad side, you'll snap. <laughs> Titus never snapped right. in his entire right. life. Uh, a few quotes from the books that describe Titus. Uh, this one is from Kevin Lannister, Tywin's brother, uh, Titus's youngest son. He said, "Quote: Our father was gentle and amiable, but so weak his bannermen mocked him in their cups. Some saw fit to defy him openly." Other lords borrowed our gold and never troubled to repay. At court, they japed of a toothless lion. Even his mistress stole from him. A woman scarcely one step above a whore, and she helped herself to my mother's jewels. You know, it's a, it's a little bit like, you know, if, if, if you've ever watched the history of American mob movies, right? Like, that's, that's the tooth of the mob boss, right? Um, is... Listen, obviously you want to foster your generals, your captains, your lieutenants in the organization. But you also know that if somebody steps out of line, there's repercussions because repercussions ripple down through the populace. And while you may be agreeable, right, like you were saying, 
everybody has that point where they're like, okay, the line is there and crossed over. And it sounds like he didn't quite have that line. And then, then you have respect issues, right? Then you have, you know, a, a, a country, a land that is steeped in violence, right? Um, and yet you have the one individual, a leader that refuses to almost engage that, enforce that, um, build a respectability. And that, you know, in the long term, especially in a Martin book, right? That's mm-hmm. going to present problems in the long run. Oh, definitely. So Tywin, he he came back. Well, he was fighting for the Targaryens in the War of the Nine Penny Kings, and he was serving on the Sepstones. And he he heard people around him, his, his comrades, talking about how much they they ba- basically just mocking the Lannisters in front of Tywin's face. And this really had an effect on Tywin, where he said, "Oh my gosh, this is worse than I thought. I knew that people owed us money, but I didn't know that people just were flat out laughing at us behind our back right. and to our face." Right. So th- this brings us to the Reigns. The Reigns have a lot of similarities to the Lannisters. When I was when I was researching this topic, I was I was really surprised how similar they were to the Lannisters. The Reigns also descended from the First Men. They also built their castle on a gold mine, and just like the Lannisters, they had they had golden hair. They had blonde hair. Right. Uh, a few notable moments in their history, we don't really hear about them a lot in the books or the series. They were visited by the Targaryens a few times in the 50s um, as part of royal p- processions because they were very wealthy back then. Uh, during the first Blackfire Rebellion, Rob Rain joined the Blackfires. Uh, if you don't know what the Blackfire Rebellion is, go look it up. It's really fascinating. Basically, Aegon Fourth had a lot of bastards, and they all grouped together and were like... You know what? We're pretty we're pretty numerable. I think we can <laughs> we can steal some power. Uh, but Rob Rob Rain joined the first Blackfire Rebellion, and he was known as one of the finest knights of that era. So they had a really good few moments back then. But their their glory days were definitely behind them by the time this conflict starts. And in 235 AC, a very beautiful Rain daughter came about, and she was married to Tian Lannister. First, she was betrothed to Tywald. So Tywald and Tian were twins. They were older than Tywin. She was betrothed to Tywald, but then he died in the Fourth Blackfire Rebellion, and she ended up marrying Tyon. So she was Lady of Casterly Rock at that point. She had a lot of power, and she used that power to help her dying house. You know, if if you have if you have a family member that's just down on their luck, you just want to help them out. The Lannisters right. have a lot of money. They're built on a gold mine that's still producing gold. Castamere at this time was dried up, not producing gold anymore. Right. They actually turned the gold mines into housing chambers, yeah. which is pretty cool to think about. But she she did that. She loaned them a bunch of money to her brother, Roger Rain, right. And she also gave him offices, honors, land. And then Tyon died in the fourth Blackfire Rebellion too. So just like his twin brother, everyone's <laughs> dying in the Blackfire Rebellion. I think everybody's dying in Martin books in general. Right? That's what I love about Martin's books. You, know, you and, don't know who's going to die, who's yeah. going to live. Well, and going back to your point too, um, you know, this is, Martin has a history here too of raising women up to responsible positions, right? Usually because of war, pestilence, saving of the house, the house gets in trouble, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that goes to that measure, too, of, of you know, the writing in the books, too, you know, of, you know, raising these strong women who have just as much connection, just as much loyalty to their house and their family as the men do, rather than just being subjected to, for example, more traditional English history, right, mm-hmm. uh, or others, where, where the, the woman is of service, almost, 
to the house or the matriarch. And here, you know, he raises those daughters up, right? Those sisters, those wives to take control of their own destinies. And that's that's a real powerful message, too, in those books as well. Yeah, I like that there are gender roles, but I feel like each gender has a lot of power. Olena Tyrell, amazing uh, feminist character. Sansa Stark, amazing feminist character. They have real power. Yeah, Greyjoy. Not in the same way. Oh, the great, yeah. yeah, uh, Iara, Greyjoy. Yeah, Yeah, she has a lot of power, too. Uh, Different gender roles, but a lot of power. I love that. So she... when Tyon died, she doesn't have power anymore. Uh, right. She actually tries betting Titus, <laughs> tries to sleep with him to, <laughs> to to kind of have him under her thumb, but he rejects because he's in love with his wife, and she gets she gets banished from Casterly Rock and marries another lord of another dying house, a Walder and Tarbeck. Oof. So he's <laughs> just. The, there's not a lot of family history on the Tarbecks that's really well known, uh, but basically they were very powerful lords as well as the Reigns, but are also a dying house. That's the gist of it. There's not really much there. Right. Uh, so they're both sinking into obscurity together, except Ellen loaned a lot of gold and land to her brother Roger. So this is about the time that Tywin comes back from war. So the Reigns and the Tarbecks weren't the only houses borrowing money, but... Tywin, so Tywin comes back from war and he sets out a procession among all the Western lords saying, hey, if you owe us money, you are going to pay us back. And if not, you are going to give us a hostage from your family to house at Casterly Rock. Those are your choices. So Roger Rain gets this and he owes them a lot of money and he doesn't want to give them any of his sons. So he goes to Casterly Rock and he wants to talk with Titus because he knows he can push over Titus. Titus is still Lord of Casterly Rock. So he tries to convince Titus, but who meets him at the gate? Tywin Lannister. <laughs> and he throws and he throws Roger Rain into a dungeon. Titus doesn't like this. He's an agreeable guy. He brings him out of the of the dungeon, forgives his debt, sends him on his way. Uh, the Reigns actually host Titus and the Lannisters at Castamere and proclaim their peace throughout all the land for time and all eternity. Tywin lets this go on for a year before he's fed up again and tells the and tells the the reigns you're going to pay us back right now so the reigns refuse again and now tywin has a reason to go to war with them so this is the official conflict tywin calls his banners he marches straight to tarbeck hall because it's closer and he wipes everyone out there ellen sees them coming sends a raven to her brother to her brother roger Roger is making haste there, but Tywin already has the castle down to rubble in a day. Wow. He, he is not messing around. Uh, when he destroys the castle, Ellen and her son die along with it. At this point, Roger Rain comes and sees the burning rubble, and Tywin uh, attacks him on the open field and then marches to Castamere. So Roger makes it back to Castamere with an arrow in his back. And he tells everyone to get into the dungeons, get not the dungeons, get into the mines. We are we are safe there. And this does make them safe. And it makes it so uh, Tywin can't defeat them like he did the Tarbex at Tarbex Hall. So he this is the really sad part. I know you love kids, Merkel. You might want to cover your ears right now. So what happens is Tywin seals up all the entrances to the mines and there's a river right by Castamere. He dams up the river and redirects it into the mines and drowns all the women and children and men. Just just a heartbreaking Which is which is death. which is you know again going back right you you've got to expect that from Martin, 
right? There's no, <laughs> right? And this is where Tywin gets his reputation, right? Yeah, and this is this is where we're going. That's also where we get the line, and now the rain sweep over their halls. Right. So let, let's break down the song line by line. We've talked about the history of it, the conflict that started it. So the first line is, who are you, the proud Lord said, that I must bow so low? So uh, th- this can be a few people here. It can be Tywin, but it's actually Roger Rain. It could be Tywin. It could be Walderin. It's actually Roger Rain who's talking in the song. He says, only a cat of a different coat. That's all the truth I know. So Ty- so I think this is invoking that Roger, the Rain, see themselves as powerful as the Lannisters. Uh, the next line says, in a coat of gold or a coat of red, the lion still has claws, and mine are long and sharp, my lord, as long and sharp as yours. I actually think this is really significant. We don't know exactly how powerful the reigns got, right. but I think this line uh, is hinting that the reigns were so powerful through all the gold that they were borrowing from right. the Lannisters and not giving back that Tywin actually saw this as a real threat. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that idea of the... Uh, what is it referring to the the uh, is it a, a coat of gold a coat of gold or a coat of red yeah and and right that that coat of gold is power and money and the coat of red is power and strength and war so you know he's he's saying hey we're not you know we're not the chumps we've got we've got power in both finance in money right clout and we have both clout in Hey, we can we can spill blood if we need to, and is necessary to as well. Right, and, and I think that's why Tywin saw them as a threat, and he yeah. he didn't. Tywin doesn't just kill people willy nilly. There's no, always right. a point behind it. Right, uh, there's uh, he's strategic. He's incredibly strategic. Uh, he is. He has always been the one of the Lannisters, right? And and even right up until. You know the the books in the series. He's strategic. He's looking ahead. He's always considering it in the scope of securing house, securing wealth, securing power, and those moves he makes, he justifies throughout as necessary means to achieve the goals to keep the Lannister house and name in power. And so, why did he attack surprisingly? Like he he didn't say, "Hey, meet me on the battlefield." <laughs> no, right. He caught them by surprise yeah. while their pants were down. Yeah. In some case, probably literally, yeah. the pants were down. And I think he did this because I think he thought, this is, of course, speculating a lot. But if I meet them on the battlefield, Tywin Lannister probably thought, if I meet them on the battlefield, I have a real chance of losing. I, right. have, to keep, I have to catch them by surprise. I right. can't let them call for reinforcements right away. I have to squash this right now. Right. So I, I think that line is pretty telling that a, a, a good example of Tywin Lannister not taking aggressive action when it's not needed is with the Westerlings. Yeah. The Westerlings, they, uh, Jeannie married Robb Stark in the, in the War of the Five Kings. And when Robb Stark died, they came back to the Lannisters and said, hey, we're sorry. And in the books, Tommen, uh, after, this is after Joffrey's death, in yeah. the books, Tommen signs a decree uh, giving the Westerlings a full pardon. Right. Because Tywin Lannister is like, you're not worth my time. Right. I don't see you as a threat. You can come back. So, yeah, he definitely saw them as a threat here. Uh, and so he spoke, and so he spoke, that Lord of Castamere. Uh, I think this is talking about Roger Ryan just keep keeping talking shit. Yeah. <laughs> just keeps talking shit right. over and over yeah. again. And now the rains weep over their halls and not a soul to hear. That is imagery of the water going into the mines, drowning yeah. the last of the rains yeah. in the Tarbacks. Hey, you know, and, and Martin is also using a... Martin's also using an ancient device, right? Like this heralds back to the Greek choruses of of the great 
uh, Greek literature, the heralds, the ones that, you know, expressed a story in song, right? And we see that throughout history as, you know, either in jesterhood or in court musicians, right? They're, they, they weren't just entertainment. They were the recorders in artistry of the history or the voice of the king or, or the voice of the people. So he's really using a really common literary device that's, you know, thousands of years established of bringing song and artistry and um, that kind of that flowery metaphorical nature right to presenting an idea and recording history through that so you know it's a very common device and it works right it works in restoros yeah right it works in westeros it works in middle earth yeah i, I don't know if this is not like you i want to touch on this a little bit more if you can go on explaining it a little bit more but this isn't a common thing that authors use because no. this is not the medium for music no this is right. just poetry right and then the and then the the HBO series put music behind right. Martin's words. Right. Right. And again, that's that, you know, that's that traditional Greek chorus. Sometimes it was sung, sometimes it was spoken by the Greek chorus, you know, the individuals of four or five. Shakespeare incorporates it, for example, at the beginning of Macbeth, uh, with the three witches, right? They are they are setting, they are telling the story, they're setting tone, they're 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 documenting history and bringing it into the setup of the story. Um, but you're right, a lot, of, a lot of modern writers don't use this. But of course it works perfect for this world, mm -hmm. right? It is that time where, you know, ballad and poetry were the essential almost media of the day. They recorded present tone, they recorded the king's words, or they recorded the battles, the, the you know, the great acts of heroism or cowardice, right, that are, that are brawn for. And then as they get passed lyrically down, right, that's how history moves. And this is how kind of Martin moves the history with the books, right? These are established um, uh, kind of archival pieces of, of art that, that give, you know, they're just as important as the tapestry that hangs in the halls that mm -hmm. he describes a previous battle. So this is all beautiful writing and art, but it also serves a purpose of contextualizing, you know, the families of the periods of time, all of those things. So it's a beautiful, beautiful artistic device. Yeah. Last thing about this before we move on, that Martin saw his world and said, you know what, in this world, there are going to be battles and there are going to be heroes and there are going to be villains and there are going to be people that say, I'm going to record this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to sing about it. And right. these stories are going to be passed down. These songs are yeah. going to be passed down. And in this case, they're actually used to Tywin's benefit because Tywin, uh, whenever he had another lord that was stepping out of line, he didn't send an army to their gates. He sent a singer to sing right. this song. Right. One. So after this whole conflict, uh, Tywin, Titus lived another six years. So Tywin, but Tywin at this point was basically the lord of Casterly Rock. And it really, what, the effect this had on Tywin was he looked around and said, I don't need a title to gain power. Right. And so that makes a lot more sense why he right. tells Tyrion sure. in the second book during a small council meeting. Right. He says, Tyrion, like this is when Tyrion said, you sent the most powerful man in Westeros to bed without his dinner, talking about Joffrey storming to bed. Right. Tywin looked at him and said, do you really think a crown gives you power? 
because Tywin knows I right. seized all the power I have right now <laughs> when I wasn't even Lord of Casterly Rock right. yet. Right. But one one lord in the Western Lands didn't get the memo that Tywin Lannister is a badass. This was Lord Farman. So Lord Farman, he started acting out the exact words in A Wiki of Ice and Fire all are, are truculent, which means quick to argue. So I don't think Tywin... So Tywin saw Lord Farman. He saw that he was kind of stepping out of line, but he's not really rebelling yet. Uh, so Tywin didn't see a point to go and kill his entire family. But instead, he sent a singer to sing the reigns of Castamere. And after that, Lord Farman did not argue with Lord Tywin anymore. He was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, you're, you're threatening a little bit. So now we're going to look at how Martin uses this song in the HBO series and in his own books. So the first the first use of this song in the HBO series is when Tyrion is walking into his first small council meeting. He's whistling a tune. Uh, people who aren't familiar with the book, actually, I don't think anyone caught this at the time. You only catch this if you're going back and, and watching the HBO series. But that tune that he's whistling is The Reigns of Castamere. Jamie, here, here's the second time that it was used. Uh, when Jamie saves Brienne from the bear in the fighting pit, the end credits roll and you hear and you hear the reigns of Castamere for the end credits. I actually think this is a, a missed opportunity. I think they should have used the bear in the maiden fair. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> There's I saw literally that a notes. bear. <laughs> right, right. I mean you have the metaphor already kind of lined up, right? Yeah, yeah. someone's saving a maiden. Brienne <laughs> is definitely a maiden. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, missed opportunity there. Uh, basically, the HBO series uses it a lot more liberally than the books, and I think this is just because it's it's a it's another median. Uh, so how the HBO series used it a little bit more liberally. Bronn is singing it outside the Red Keep after the battle on the Blackwater. The Brotherhood without banners. Uh, it plays while they're while they while they find Arya Stark. Right. They they took a much more liberal so, approach to this. So you know it's because, really it's really interesting that you bring that up because you know. Here's the thing. Now, whether or not Martin has a specific tune in his head, right, when he's writing it, when we're reading it in the books or, or understanding it from the wikis or find right, there's not necessarily a tune. Here's what a show does that a book can't do, mm -hmm. right? A show can turn that into a tune. The other thing it tells me is, is this is a pop song in, in the sense that it's popular music. In Westeros or in our world? In 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 Westeros. In Westeros, it's a pop it's, song. It's yeah. a pop song, right? It is, it is an essential part of culture that almost separates itself from original source, right? It it, it has a variety of applications, depending on the situation. So in that sense, it's almost like a modern version of Queen's "We Are the Champions." Yeah. Right? Yeah. In that sense, that like. Everybody kind of knows this tune and whistles it at their moment that they feel that it empowers them or they can use it, right? Or the show decides that it's going to, right, it's just going to plant that little ditty, right? And that little ditty becomes a theme. It becomes a marker. So, you know, when I think of it that way, I think of it, it, it is almost like a, a, you know, a Game of Thrones version of We Are the Champions. It's clearly popular. It's clearly being used by different families and different people in different contexts to mean, but but that that impact is clearly there. Yeah, exactly. That's why I don't mind the television series using it liberally. I know a lot of purists that would say, sure. no, Braun wasn't singing it after the Battle right. of the Blackwater. But it's like, like dude, um, 
they can't do this in in the books. Like, what's George right. R. R. Martin going to do? Is he going to say, "And Braun was singing the <laughs> no, no, right. the <laughs> the overtness of it"? Right? Yeah. Like, you just don't get that picture in your mind in the book. Well, so that's why you that's why you need an HBO and, series and I, to do and this. And I like it the way, in that sense, that it's it's not a browbeat. It's not beaten into your head. It's not overt, right? Sometimes the things that are really fun is, is when they are these subtleties, right? And I think use the series using that way, it picks its moments, right? I mean, we could argue about the the Jamie Brienne thing that maybe a different context of a different <laughs> song could be used there, but it's, it's clearly a seed. It's a thread, right? It's one of them. It's one of the singular threads that weaves itself through the tapestry of the story. And you see its influence culturally, right? You see its influence. Upon, and I don't need an overt reference to it, right? It, it is, it is a marker. It's almost like the little flag that pops up every once in a while and says, Hey, just so you know, this is here to help, right? Create context and create kind of association. And it's a great little like seed. Yeah. You right? don't, yeah, you, 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 I think what you're saying is you don't have to have meaning no. when singing this song in the HBO right. series because it, it, it it's a beautiful tone. Yeah. Like just to you and me, it's a beautiful right. tone. Right. You can just use it to fill in the gaps because sure. it, it's just really fun to listen right? to. But, and, and, it doesn't and, have to have meaning. Yeah. And that's what Shows do great, right? They give you that little, they give you that little ditty every once in a while, just to remind you that there's a, there's a grounding, almost, mm -hmm. right? But it is fun, especially in the series, to see the way that each character kind of takes that pop tune, so to speak, and makes it their own depending on the context that they're in. And some of the HBO series uses of the reigns of Castamere does have meaning. When Tyrion yeah. is going into the small council, I can say he's whistling that because he right. wants to get revenge on his sister. And here's the thing. If he's coming in whistling it, right? If we go with the premise that it is a popular tune, that is also sending a message, right? Like if I come in whistling you know, to a group of people that I know that are going to know, you know, break your neck by the Wu-Tang Clan, right? That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's even a subtle, almost, almost intimidating factor, right? That that's like, wait, why are you whistling that tune? It's, it's a, it's almost a power move. It's a control move. It's not overt, but it's just that, you know, it'd be like, again, him coming into that meeting for the first time, you know, whistling, we are the champions. That's a message. It's not just by accident, right? Yeah, Tyrion is a small guy. He needs yeah. to get every advantage he can. If, if he's going in singing, I'm going to break your neck by the Wounding <laughs> Clan. Yeah, right. like it makes sense. Right? He wants the small council to know, like, yeah, yeah I'm small, but right. I, 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 I carry a big punch. Right, right, right. I, I got the coat of gold. I got the coat of red, and I can go either way. I can break your neck. Yes. <laughs> So in the books, George R. R. Martin, though, uses, uh, it uses it more scarcely and with yeah. a purpose. Every time I counted in the books that he used, every time I counted in the books where he used the Reigns of Castamere, it, it was for a purpose. So the first one is the first time we hear about the Reigns of Castamere is when Tyrion is telling us how, uh, how the song was conceived for the first time in his third chapter in the third book. He said, quote, Lord Tywin did not suffer disloyalty in his vassals. He had extinguished the proud reigns of Castamere in the ancient Tarbex of Tarbeck Hall, root and branch, when he was still half a boy. The singers even made a rather gloomy song about it. Uh, this is when this is during his exchange with Tywin, where Tywin says, do you really think a crown gives you power? Right. And that makes sense why the reigns of Castamere would be used there, because Tywin is telling him, you don't need an office to give you power. Right. 
And the second one is the most famous, The Red Wedding. So I love how George R. R. Martin introduced this. Bas- so basically, Caitlin, the chapter is from Caitlin's perspective. Right. And Caitlin notices that Rosalind is kind of acting off. She notices that the doors closed to the hall. And it, you realize that something is building up, but what is it? I hadn't right. seen the HBO series at this point. I didn't know what was happening, but right. I knew something was off. And then she says the words. She, From her perspective, she said, no one sang the words, but Caitlin knew the reins of Castamir when she heard this. And when I read that, I my eyes went the size of saucers and right. I shit my pants. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> Right. Yeah, they're and, about to wipe it because. The, and here again, it goes to the fact that it's such a popular tune, right? That even just the tune itself, even without the words, now carries a context, carries a meaning. So it's it, it's almost like, again, it's almost like a, a the song almost becomes a foreshadowing, right? That we know when we hear that kind of familiar tune that. Oh, and even Kate knows it, right? Mm -hmm. She knows it right away that this is, I'm not, this is not going to go well. This this context of this song being sung is not in a context of, hey, let's all have fun. We're here to party, (laughs) right? It's not a it's not an Andrew WK song, right? It is it is it is an Alice Cooper song that's that's coming into the room. Yeah, let's go back to Break Your Necks by the Wu-Tang Clan. If Break Your Necks by the Wu-Tang Clan started playing at a wedding, you would probably think, (laughs) okay, something's wrong here. (laughs) Something's wrong here. Right. But in the context of the Red Wedding, though, Caitlin absolutely believes that Rob is the last Stark. She believes Brandon and Rickon were killed at Winterfell. Arya Stark is dead in the wild. She's working from her context, right? Right. Yeah. And the phrase also believed that this is the last Stark as well. Yeah. So the song is so fitting. In the HBO series... The episode where the Red Wedding takes place isn't called the Red Wedding. Right. It's called the Reigns of Castamere. Right. For, and it's for a reason, for right. this very reason. Right. But at the Purple Wedding, it is absolutely, it, it, it's it's appropriate at the Purple yeah. Wedding. Yeah. So at the Purple Wedding, uh, Ola, Elena Tyrell, she, oh, so a famous singer named Alaric of Eisen, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, he comes up and he's a famous singer. And Elena Tyrell uh, says, I do so hope he plays the reigns of Castamere. It's been an hour. I've forgotten how it goes. Because that song was playing over and over again at the right. Purple Wedding. Because right. Tywin is there. Sure. Uh, but also in the literary device, we know that something's about to go down. Right. <laughs> the reigns of Castamere is playing. Exactly. And so what goes down? Joffrey gets poisoned and he right. dies. And right. again, George R. R. Martin is using this theme of revenge. Yeah. Joffrey has just push Sansa Stark to the point where she wants to escape. And this is the only way she can escape. She right. has to get revenge on Joffrey. Right. So there are, there are a couple of cool fan theories though, about ooh. the reigns. So about, about um, reigns that are still alive. I think the most, the most grounded one is actually Bronn, that Bronn is the last reign. He knows a lot about the Lannisters right. when he comes in. Um, that that's about it. That's where it begins and ends. It's not a strong theory, but it's right. the strongest. Sure, sure. So I I don't believe that one bit. Uh, right. But... And by the way, Bronn is one of my. I love Bronn. He is one of my favorite characters in both the series and the book. Oh, who doesn't? He's so real. Right. Uh He's the. You feel like in some ways, and I and I think this is again a plausible theory because, he he's the one that kind of. I'll give you an idea. He is the one for example, in another piece of literature is comparative to me. And he he is comparative to me to, to the, the comedian 
in in Watchmen. Like Braun is the one that I get the sense that sees it all clearly, that sees the lay of the land, that has played the game long enough to know how the rules kind of work. And he's the one, he, he's the one that sees it mm-hmm. for what it is, all kind of laid out. And as you would expect, positions himself accordingly in that structure, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it, there, where the theory has meat is that Braun isn't a, a normal cell sword that starts right. fleeing right. battle once it goes right. bad. He, he stands there and he holds yep. his ground. That's not normal. There's something unique to him. Yeah. So uh, even though his backstory is pretty vague, I think it's very unlikely that he is the son of El- Ellen Rain. Right. I think it's unlikely, but there there's a little bit of meat there. Sure. Other, other theories that fans have pointed out are various. He's he's the last rain child because he went to slavery. His backstory's murky. Right. Uh, Peter Baelish. People online have said that Peter Baelish is a rain because, I guess, <laughs> I think Peter's backstory is actually pretty solid. Yeah. But yeah, th- those are those are the three fan theories. Not not a whole lot there. It it's really it's really hard to think someone escaping a cave drowning. Right. Yeah. I I went down that YouTube rabbit hole. Most sure. people do not escape caves yeah, when they're lost no. so <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> very unlikely no right no i i you know again i love the fact that you brought up that it, you know this is not only a literary device obviously to further story to give context to cue the reader right that's just anytime you get that in literature it's magical right and i think your apt comparison to tolkien is very similar right that we get those kinds of clues but the other thing is that captivates me um again is this just this is you know the the richness of how stories are told and passed down right and this just reinforces so much that you know something that we think in our own culture is kind of popular i think and and it morphs and it changes and it it gets used again and again and has a context Beyond its original kind of storytelling impetus or reason, right? Yeah. Um, anytime a writer can bring that in and, of course, carry it over a series, is, that's what draws us in. That's the stuff we love. Like, that's just one little hint of those devices that Martin uses to draw us into the story and keep coming back and give us context and constantly saying, this act here generations ago now reverberates and still has context and fluidity in 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 a generation or two later that's that's fascinating the last question i want to ask touches on ethics you like ethics merkel i do like i ethics. love ethics what was tywin lannister justified was it ethical to take this action <sighs> i i could he have solved this another way i actually don't know if he could if they are this yeah. if they are this rich and powerful at this point i don't know i don't know if he could yeah I yeah. mean, how, how would Ned Stark deal with the reins and Tarbex? How well, would he deal with it? Ju- uh, you with know, I, I mean, to, to Ned's, you know, Ned was a great warrior, swordsman, protector of his family, right? But but Ned Stark always used that as a last result, reluctantly, almost, right? I think Ned Stark loved the act of diplomacy. If you see there in the first book, right, that's really kind of where he thrives and where his struggle constantly happens, right? We even see it later on in, uh, obviously, John, and and we see it in Rob, right? That that inner struggle of, 
I, there are times when conflict is necessary, when war is necessary, but yet to maintain a peace and harmony, there has to be an element. And that's, that's what, that's what hurts the Starks the most, right? Mm -hmm. In some ways it's because they're either inability or, um, you know, to drive the plot of not quite being able to see that moment. There's still, I mean, one of the love, one of the things we love about Starks is there's still a naivety of hope left in them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, does that work in a world like Westeros? The well, other families to kind of prove that you know, maybe it's not. Um, but Tywin again is, is 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 again. I don't think he's looking at one singular incident. He never is a singular incident character, right? He's always looking towards the broader term. He's always looking to secure the family. And I think he felt at this moment, especially with Titus, he needed to make this move to counteract right what the family was experiencing largely with worldwide worldwide yeah yeah no I, I i honestly don't think there was another action tywin could have taken if, if they were so powerful that they were threatening the lannister's power like right you you, you got to squash that while while you can yeah. maybe ned would have like stopped halfway and said okay i burned tarback call right. like now you want to talk right. I, that might be something that right. he did well but i the, think i think like yeah. like I, I think sansa is the most like ned stark where you you touched on you know the the starks are way too trusting and yeah. sansa at the beginning was way too trusting yep. but throughout the series she just learned hey some people deserve my trust others right. don't right right so uh, I don't know why I said that. I might have to cut that out. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I think you're right. And, you know, it goes a little bit to, you know, uh, uh, even the conflict within the Lannisters, right? That, that last, it, it, Jamie, uh, you know, it, Jamie comes to that internal struggle, right? right. As well. Um, and, and that is, you know, it it, it 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 listen, when you live in a violent, right? When you live you're living a, you know, Westeros is a violent place. Oh, historically, yeah. perpetually, right? And you know, it, 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 you have those characters that are constantly searching for that hope of peace. And of course, Martin, right? You know, is this a place that can have hope and peace? Right? That's the ultimate question here. Is 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 this a place that can achieve Something like this, whether internally or combined external forces coming in, right? And and that is, that's always a fascinating. You go back to ethics. That's a fascinating exercise, right? That's that's a good exercise for our brains to go through because, you know, we we're constantly, in some days, even in our interpersonal lives, right? We're constantly struggling with. Is this? You know, it's like. Um, you know, is this is this my little big horn I want to die on, or yeah. do I do I do I default to the better part of valor? And and that is a right. That's a constant struggle. It's a constant point of conflict in his books, which I love. Totally, Reigns of Castamere definitely brings this all together too. Yeah. So if if you like this episode, like us, rate us, give us a comment, tell us what song you'd like to do next. Uh, if if we get enough foot traffic on this, I would love to make it a series. So let us know if this is the kind of content you like. So like us and rate us, give us a comment. Uh, we are going to get out of here. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>